Hey, this is Matt Markin, and welcome to episode 42 of the Adventures in Advising podcast. What's a community agreement? What is academic coaching? We got you covered in this episode. If you don't already, check us out on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Advising Podcast and YouTube at Adventures in Advising. Also subscribe to our podcast. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, pretty much everywhere. Without further ado, here's the episode. Hello and welcome to Adventures in Advising, episode number 42. Let's give out some shout outs. Thank you to Jesse Rosales, who is a senior college advisor in the LNS College at University of California, Berkeley. Jesse is a listener and fan of the podcast and has been very supportive of our podcast, even helping promote it to his advising colleagues. Thank you so much, Jesse. Thanks to Jake Ruddy, who got in touch on Twitter to say that he loved this quote from our interview with Sarah Howard in episode 41. If we don't give people the time to heal and just be their best selves, then we can't support our students in the way that they need to be supported. That seems especially timely at the beginning or early in the new academic year for many. And also shout out to Banks Blair, a previous guest on the podcast, who said, This podcast has been an amazing resource for ideas and inspiration. I love listening to stories about the struggles and victories that happen in the advising world because they are so relatable to my journey. And also to Suzanne Seeley, another previous guest who wrote, you know how I feel. I am just taking the opportunity to remind you, you guys are awesome. Well, that's very nice, but you are the awesome one, Suzanne. So thank you very much. So let's dive into these interviews today. First up is Anthea Yugawa from University of California, Berkeley. Our special guest at this time is Anthea Yugawa, LNS College Advisor in the Department of Math and Physical Sciences at University of California, Berkeley. Anthea joined the LNS Office of Undergraduate Advising in August of 2018, having previously worked in the Center of Science, Education, and Outreach at UC San Francisco, providing services, advising, and program coordination for first-generation immigrant, underrepresented, and underserved high school students in the southeast sector of San Francisco. Anthea earned her Bachelor of Science in Human Development at University of California, Davis, and Doctor of Psychology at Wright Institute. Anthea is a proud Nakata member and serves on the steering committee for Region 9 as Diversity Coordinator. She enjoys spending time with family and friends, cooking, exercising, outdoors, and dancing, and has competed in triathlons. This is going to be a fun, I think, conversation. How are you? Doing well. Thanks so much for having me today. We're thrilled to to have you and to get an opportunity to delve uh, into your uh, your role at your current institution. I'm sure we'll discuss, uh, you know, your uh, your path into advising is generally where we like to start to give our listeners the opportunity to kind of get to know you a, a little bit. So, you know, you, Matt's gone through, you have a really interesting bio, but can you talk to us, Anthea, I suppose, about how you, how it was that you came to be where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. It was a circuitous route. Um, uh, you know, with my background I, um, in human development and clinical psych, my plan, and I had for many years um, been in the sort of counseling and therapy realm, and um, higher education was not on my radar. Um, 
until I did my postdoctoral fellowship at UCSF in the faculty and staff assistance program. So providing brief counseling there. Um, and then I was exposed to opportunities at the student, the graduate student orientation. So UCSF is just uh, a graduate health uh, institution for graduate professionals. And so um I was ex exposed to the student orientations at that point and um, asked to kind of join in in um, sort of welcoming the students, uh, providing some orientation to support services. And so there was a, a slight intro um, to students in that way. Um, and then after my fellowship, I had the opportunity to provide training. So from counseling um, and therapy, um, I had the opportunity to work as a diversity educator and trainer for, for the campus. And so that's where um, I started my work in terms of um, doing some needs assessment um, for departments, um, really getting a sense from staff um, at different levels of, about the needs of the work culture and environment, um, and then be being able to then uh, create some curriculum and content that was specific to the needs of the departments. Um, and so that was really interesting. Um, I'd never developed um, curriculum. And so being able to, to do that, um, and then provide workshops and trainings, um, and then evaluations after that, um, was a really interesting, um, experience for me. What I did find though, that I, um, I missed the interactions, um, in terms of either one-on-one -on -one that I was having when I was providing therapy or counseling. And so, um, it just so happened that after one of the trainings I was providing to a group of students, um, a director from a program um, walked up to me and um, said, hey, I, I have this position. I don't know if we can pay you enough, but, um, you know, we work with high school students. It's an outreach program. It's a pipeline program. And I said, okay, send me the job description. Um, and lo and behold, it, um, was with the center for science and education outreach at UCSF and working with first generation immigrant, um, high school students, really supporting them and trying to help them find a, a way to higher education, not just UCs, not just four-year institutions, but also community colleges, um, just a variety of ways to help students, um, really reach that next level beyond graduation. Um, so I worked in the high schools um, with a STEM academy in the Southeast sector, and um, I loved it. This is where I really found um, just this love of working with students that was very different than um, therapy and counseling um, because, to be quite honest, I had worked um, – in terms of clinical psychology with a lot of trauma, specifically with um, post-traumatic stress disorder of different populations um, <clears throat> in addiction, working with veterans, working with um, children in foster care. And I, um, 
I was ready for a change and ready for a shift and needed that break. And so working with students who have dreams and goals um, was just this positive way to still connect with um, students and people and really support them in ways um, that was that is still really fulfilling. So um yeah, I, I, I loved, I loved the work with um, students and that's really where it started. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Cracking the college admissions code just got easier. I'm Rebecca Gordon, your go-to fictional college admissions counselor for the rich and famous. Tune into the admissions game, Satire Edition, and uncover my top secrets for surefire Ivy League admission. Ditch the old Photoshop your face onto a water polo hunk trick. We reveal all the latest loopholes. So laugh and learn with the admissions game wherever you podcast. And it seems like a lot of your you know, current position or past positions, you know, whether it's students or not, like you're, you've been helping, right? You've been Mm -hmm. working with others and, you know, to help better develop them. And I think that's just great. You know, it's just like, you know, you've been in these different sectors, but it, the main thing that connects it all is that helping piece. Do you feel like with the uh, counseling background that it was an easy transition into like the higher education academic advising realm? I do. Um, I think, Definitely. I feel like advisors, you know, we're heart centered people. We like, we, we grind um, and we are there for our students. Um, You know, it's not always glamorous, certainly not the highest paid, um, but that's not why we do it. We do it because we care um, and we want um, to really be a part of or witness to um, students being successful um, and being able to see them move on. So, um, you know, despite challenges they, um, face throughout their academic journeys. <clears throat> I suppose then in thinking of your current role, Anthea, um, we've heard, you know, the, the, the way in which you, you found your passion to work with students, but can you talk to us a little bit like about your current role and, and what that entails? Sure. So, Right now, I am uh, one of the college advisors um, in the College of Letters and Science. Um, And within the college, we have what's called neighborhoods, which is really cool because it's broken down into different divisions. And so I'm with the Math and Physical Sciences um, neighborhood. And um, the way the neighborhoods work out is that we as college advisors are seen as more generalists, um, where we're working with all students from, you know, first years, transfer students, undeclared, all the way throughout their journeys, um, because students not only need to um, complete their major requirements, but we also have college requirements. So we're a part of the student's journey throughout. Um, And so, you know, day to day, um, you know, it involves working with meeting students in their appointments. And so it's a variety of reasons. So whether it's um, helping them just navigate how to enroll in courses, um, navigating, um, 
you know, academic difficulty and struggles, um, needing help with resources, needing connection to student groups, um, tutoring, um, health services, um, study abroad. So it's, we're sort of, uh, one of the main stops for students before they either connect with a major department or maybe it's um, uh, a campus partner, you know, for uh, international students or disabled students or um, our, one of our uh, um, partners that are connected to uh, first generation or transfer center or student parents. So we're sort of the first stop in many cases. Um, so meeting with students is is one aspect of, of my job day to day. We're also involved in a lot of um, projects and um, being a part of outreach and engagement um, initiatives. So um, each advisor has um, a project they lead or are involved in. So, um, so many different opportunities within the office. So one for me is that I'm working on the neighborhood lead. And so there's other leads for social sciences, um, uh, the biological uh, sciences, and then um, arts and humanities. So those are neighborhoods, but then there's also outreach engagement for transfer student, sophomore success, um, Golden Golden Bear advising and orientation, which is sort of our summer orientation. Um, so we have a lot of different um, opportunities. We also have um, committees that work specifically with academic difficulty um, or challenges that students engage in. We have liaisons and cap, um, satellite advising opportunities where we um, our advisors work closely with our campus partners in study, uh, study abroad, for example, or, um, with the international students. Um, and so we also have specific advisors connected to our, um, student populations, um, for example, like our, um, Asian Pacific Islander, um, uh, center and our African American um, student center and our let let uh, let next Chicano ex um, students. So we have advisors working um, closely with those various um, departments as well. So we wear a lot of different hats and we have different teams who are working on our um, newsletters and websites. So um, we're the I would say there's a lot of variety in um, in our office and it's not just advising. So we're always engaged. There's always multiple projects um, and things we're engaged in as well. Yeah. So it's never not busy. You're always doing something. Nope. And, and, and But I like that it, it, you definitely have that engagement piece with it. And um, also kind of going back to like the neighborhood term, like I had never heard that with uh, at an institution, like with with different offices. Has that was that a term that's was there when you started? Or is that something that that's new? It's it's actually something that our office um, really introduced to the to the campus, um, and it was uh, a reason a way to really um, twofold help uh, support the students in terms of provide a seamless or more seamless interaction between offices because so often our students are referred from one office to the other office to the other other office so it's it was really 
um, one of the intentions was to um, connect more closely with the major advisors um, in the departments and not to become experts, but to provide to provide some a little bit more specialization um, with regards to um, maybe some major requirements or maybe some processes um, that we could help um, navigate students with or connect students to um, before necessarily referring them to other offices. And so it's allowed us to also really work more closely with the departments um, and understand you know, their policies or their enrollment changes. And and that way we're in the loop. So we can also share that information as we're meeting with students. And then of course, uh, refer students to the major departments for specific um, information or clarity. Um, But we've kind of taken the term as neighborhoods. um, And, um, you know, for summer, we sort of extended that to um, having small groups that we call block parties, um, where it's really just a chance to meet students and build community um, rather than um, specific small group advising. But um, it's it's been pretty cool so far. Yeah, no, it, cer- it certainly sounds it. Um, one of the things that is always interesting, and we've had um, talked to so- uh, a couple of guests in the past about this, but you um, have worked at a couple of different institutions. And um, I suppose just interested in, in terms of making that transition to a, a, a new institution, because you, you've been, um, I think, in your, in your current institution for a few years now. So you, you've had the ability to, to settle in. But reflecting back, can you talk to us about making that transition and, and what was that like for you, Anthea? Um, yeah, so I didn't think I was going to leave UCSF, lived in San Francisco and um, was really happy and, you know, saw my career moving forward. Um, and then I got married and uh got pregnant and had a a daughter and, um, you know, some of my priorities changed a little bit. And with that was this, um, is this connection to wanting to start something new. And so I took a little detour and, um, decided to leave UCSF to start a business and it was, um, baby wearing dancing. So basically carrying your babies and dancing with them to like R&B, hip hop. Um, and, and so I left UCSF, um, thought I was going to start this business, started this business and realized within the first month that I was so attached to my career, I could not not be in advising. And so I, that's where I, um, frantically was looking for opportunities um, at uh, institutions. And by that time, we had moved to the East Bay. And um, and so I just looked at Berkeley um, and was so fortunate to have found an opportunity to work um, with the Department of Economics there. And so I will say that uh, I... I was trying to work the 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 baby wearing business for a while for about two years while I was working, but um, I just realized so quickly that um, it took me less than a month before I was 
back in applying for advising positions and working part-time. Um, and I think one of the things that I'm still, even though I've been at UC Berkeley for several years, three years now, um, I'm still learning. I'm still kind of figuring it out. It's such a different campus um, than UCSF. And, and that partly could have been the nature of my role at UCSF. I felt very connected and rooted to a lot of different departments. And here at Berkeley within the college, while I have um, connections to specific um, major departments, I still... Um, I'm looking for a little bit more of a connection outside of the college and outside of the departments that I, I'm still navigating and figuring out. And I think one of the ways that I'm able to do that is just putting myself out there and being involved in um, different committees and different um, staff organizations, um, sometimes staff development opportunities and conferences where I'm networking and meeting folks. And so that's been one way to help me feel a little bit more connected to others. Um, but, and there's plenty of, of, of opportunities, um, but I still feel like I'm navigating my way around the campus. But it seems like, you know, you as a person, you know, you go out there, like you put yourself out there, you, you try new things, you know, you, you make yourself available. And because I think some people might have thought like, oh, if I leave my current job, you know, it's secure, it's, and then I'm going to go try to do my business. Yeah, that must have been, I would assume was a really tough choice to, to, to do that. But then also, yeah, realizing, well, now that I'm outside of it, I realize that I miss it. And I really want to go back to it. And some people may not even make that decision to, to make that jump. Um, but you did. And it's led you down this, this amazing life path in a way too. Exactly. Yeah. And with you know, you're talking, we're talking about UC Berkeley. Um, how would you describe this institution to someone that just knows it by name, but not really doesn't know much about the institution. How would you describe it? Gosh, um, I mean, so it is, while the campus is really well known and, you know, there's a lot of name recognition, um, I think, you know, you just have to sort of, if you can envision being on campus, it's still a hub of a lot of um, social and political movement um, that happens and people are really vocal about their thoughts and their opinions. And there's always um, just a buzz about um, Berkeley. And it's a really, I would say, vibrant campus when we're on campus. Um, it, it's always really vibrant. So I feel like, you know, there's pockets um, and places for you to kind of discover and figure out. Um, but it, you know, at the same time, you know, sort of acknowledging that because it's, it's sort of this big name, um, you know, you can get lost. And so I, I think a big part is finding community and really seeking that community, um, is important in what, in, in whatever way. So whether it's professionally, personally, um, so I would say, you know, there, there is a sort of big feel to it. So, you know, if you will, like finding your people, um, I think is really important. Um, and so I think it's, it's a great place. There's 
there's a lot of opportunities and there's a lot of movement that happens pretty frequently that I I think took a while for me to adjust in terms of staff. Um, but that is part of the culture. Uh, there's there's a lot of folks that that move in and out of um, different departments. And that was something that really stood out to me. And I think it it speaks to different opportunities that um, arise um, on the campus and how things are constantly changing. Yeah, I know it's interesting to hear that because, I mean, it has name recognition, not just in California, not just in the United States, but globally. I mean, you know, it's it's famous here Mm -hmm. in in Ireland as well. So interesting to hear that and that piece about finding your people. I mean, it's funny how we say that to to students about settling in and it's the same, you know, for for staff. And in terms of community, I suppose, Anthony, and just, you know, finding one's people, um, I know you're involved uh, with NACADA. Can you talk about, like, you you know, how you first became in, involved with, uh, with NACADA? Yeah, so I was really introduced to it as a professional development opportunity to attend a conference. And, and I've always uh, been someone who is interested in engaging in, in different ways, um, in my career. So whether it's, um, through, through courses, through workshops, through, you know, um, classes, um, but also conferences, because I think conferences really allow me to gain a sense of what's happening outside of our campus, um, what's happening in other states and other countries and other institutions, um, to get a real, uh, to get a barometer of, you know, what's, trending what's um what are the really like important topics um that we need to consider and we um need to be mindful of too um so after attending my first conference uh I, I really, again, it was one of those situations where I said, well, hmm, how can I, how can I be involved more? What does that look like? What is the, um, what would be the commitment? And so, um, thankfully I was connected with, um, Amber Dillon on my campus who served as a previous chair before our current, um, chair, uh, Sherry, and she was just really um, generous and nice. And she sat and met with me at the Nakata conference and talked to me about just her role, um, the benefits of getting connected, not just as a member, but being a part of the steering committee and how historically UC, um, UC Berkeley and um, members of our community have been involved in Nakata. And so um, she said, you know, I just think it'd be a nice opportunity to get your feet wet, just, you know, kind of see see what that's like and see if that's something that you're interested in. And so I, you know, took a look at the various positions. Um, and sure enough, uh, as things circle back, the, um, the diversity coordinator position came up and I said, hmm, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of a nice way to, to bring back some of my previous experience um, um, and be able to apply it in a different way. Um, and so that's really kind of where um, I got involved. And it's been a really fantastic um, experience for me with a lot of flexibility and creativity as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, you had 
wrote that you wanted to improve diversity and inclusion in the areas of Region 9's diverse representation, uh, whether it's the membership, incorporating diversity initiatives and curriculum, and also identifying gaps for increased diversity through assessment measures. One of the things you've introduced is uh, something called the community agreement. Uh, Can you talk about what a community agreement is and why that's important? Absolutely. So this really came out of um, our our office. So our office did a lot of work, um, intentional work with um, a campus partner um, that was rooted in um, social justice. Um, and we did a, a, and this came at a time where we were really evaluating our mission and our um, goals and values. And so um, there was intention around creating a specific kind of work culture and environment, not just between students, um, not just between departments, but just really in all interactions. And it had to start with the way that we created um, our own work culture. And so um, I'm I'm just really proud of the work that our office and our staff have done to um, create um, these community agreements. And these community agreements are something that we start off our uh, every week our our staff meetings by going over them and reading them and um, you know while they may be simple in um, just what they say in terms of respect and um, just how we want to be how we want to act how we want to interact with each other it's um, I think it's powerful to make the statement and to stand by the statement and to um, be mindful as we're starting a meeting or um, interacting with each other, that these are the things that we want to uphold. And it's just, it feels like it's a very um, important aspect to me um, to include these community agreements. Um, It's something that we all created together and it's something that, you know, it's intentional. So it's a nice way to, to start um, a meeting, if you will. And it's a nice reminder. Yeah, absolutely. And and I really like the intentionality um, behind it. Now, um, you mentioned earlier, and, and we've been very fortunate that um, she's been a guest on the, the podcast, uh, Sherry Souza, uh, the, the current chair of, uh, Re- of Region 9 um, before Ma- Matt uh, takes over. So just interested in, in hearing about, like, you know, how you've uh, found um, working with, with um, Sherry and um, what that what that's been like for you. It's been great. I, I love Sherry. Um, I, I appreciate um, how laid back she is and how easy um, and supportive sh- she is in terms of ideas and, um, you know, just her sincerity around um, really wanting to um, create a, a positive 
environment for our steering committee, wanting to really embrace the different ideas that um, our committee members come up with and, and find different ways to incentivize, um, you know, more um, connection and membership. And um, she's always just been so supportive. So it's been really great to, um, to work with Sherry. And, um, you know, I think she also sort of pushes the envelope when we bring ideas about um, to executive office and um, certain things like, you know, I kind of threw out the idea of community agreements for our steering committee. And, you know, we did an exercise around that with our members. And, and, and while it may have been uncomfortable or a stretch to kind of like talk about what do we mean by respect? What do we mean by um, being compassionate? What do we mean by um, being authentic? Um, you know, she really supported that um, and uh, found a way for us to sort of integrate that and implement. Um, eventually, we're at the place where, you know, we share this with the group. And so she's just been really supportive. It's It's been great. And I'm excited for her to move on, um, but also sad too. Yeah, she's so open to anything that like the steering committee members are interested in, you know, pushing through and she's like, whatever I, I can do to help. Yeah, she's just been great. And there was other interviews that we've done where we've kind of talked about how each person in that position, in any position mm -hmm. in Nakata, like they, they get it to the next level and then that person takes over and then they get it to the next level. And I mean, they've just done such amazing work. So as we continue on with this conversation, you know, in one of Region mm -hmm. 9's blog posts, which highlighted different steering com committee members, you were highlighted. And there was a question of what's your go-to productivity trick? And yours was having your diffuser on with all your favorite smells and to get you focused and also to do checklists. Mm -hmm. So how have you found those to be productivity tricks for you? Um, so I, it, which is connected to like my talk story, um, around senses, I just realized that, um, when I had another, uh, colleague have a diffuser, I always was in her office. I don't know why, I don't know what brought me there, but it always smelled nice. It always felt really nice. And so I, when I decided to take that on and bring a diffuser in and kind of explore different scents, I, I also recognized that students really enjoyed it. Students also, like it felt that it made them feel welcome. Um, and they would comment, oh, it's like a spa in here, or it feels like a spa, you know, it's like got a little light and got this little smoke going on, but it also smells really nice. Um, and so, you know, part of it for me is, uh, you know, just creating a welcoming environment um, for students, but also for myself so that I can work um, and be sort of in the best space and place that I need to be. And so it's it's been something that's been really um, helpful for me personally, because I know when I start my day, pour my water in and, you know, turn it on, like, I feel like I'm ready. I can like, let's, let's go. Um, and so that's like, just sort of a, a feel um, experience, but then the checklist is just my accountability. There's just so much that if I don't write it down, it's gone. And one of the, it was sort of one of the things that we talk about in our office is 
don't wait to write your notes at the end of the day because you don't even know, you don't even remember what student you met with and what specific topic or um, action step you did because um, it's just, you're going from so many um, students that you forget. So we always, like one of the things I say is don't wait to the end or at least write down jot notes in between student appointments. Um, and so that keeps me straight. It saves my life. Um, and I, I, I do it all around uh, groceries, whatever it is. <laughs> I, lists, lists save me. <laughs> That's so true about the don't wait until the end of the day because like you'll get your appointments and then let's say it runs over and then you're like, oh, my next appointment's here. Uh, I'll do the notes uh -huh. later. And then you get to the end of the day and you're like, uh, what did we talk about? And then and this will happen to me. And then I'll write the most basic notes. <laughs> Uh, for that student and i'm like i have to put something in here but i really don't remember right. everything that we talked about so it is so true even if it runs over whatnot it's like just yeah just write down a couple uh, you know jot down a couple notes so you are reminded if you are gonna exactly do exactly and i suppose Anthea, we're recording this kind of right at the beginning of the academic year and for most people at so like be it over the next few weeks um university yeah. life is going to be beginning back up again just interested is there are there any goals that you've set for yourself this year or anything that you're taking from last year and, and looking to implement or even something as simple as like um you know so, some learning from I, I know that one of my colleagues has said that they're from over for the past 18 months, given everything and all the change, they're going to endeavor to be kinder to themselves for this current, this coming academic year. Just wondering if there's anything uh, for you as we move into the new academic year. Absolutely. Um, you know, things are uncertain on our campus in terms of even though students are in person, we're currently remote, but that uh, is going to change likely. Um, in terms of a hybrid model. And so, um, you know, just being really mindful about, um, you know, how to keep myself um, safe and healthy and, you know, just really knowing what I'm comfortable with, what I'm not comfortable with in terms of um, safety and protection. But also um, one of the things I implemented over this year was taking breaks and like not just on the calendar, um, but really making myself um, leave my computer, um, leave the house um, to take walks um, and to take breaks. And it's so easy when we're in the office, but also at home to feel like we just need to keep going to you know, prove our productivity. And so really making sure to schedule those, not just schedule the breaks on the calendar, but you know, have it be an alarm you know, making sure we stand up and get away, give our minds and our bodies that break to just decompress. So for sure. That is great advice because, you know, you'll hear people talk about, you know, put time in your schedule that you do. And it's like, yeah, you can write it down or put it on your electronic calendar or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But then that time comes and you're like, well, let me just get these five other emails done first. Or let me, you know, answer this question uh -huh. or let me work on this and then I'll do it. But then it's time for the next appointment or the next thing. Um, mm -hmm. Any advice on how to like kind of force yourself to make sure you follow through on on that schedule? Yeah, I mean, if it whether it's like it's a colleague or a friend or if you're at home, uh, someone you live with um, mm -hmm. to just 
have that accountability. So, you know, at certain times of the day, I check in with, you know, someone that's not here. Um, and so that physically ha has me away from my computer. So whether it's a phone call or a text or a walk, um, I have myself accountable to someone else. Um, but if you're not, I, I think... I think just really forcing yourself, um, you know, having that alarm go off. It's so hard um, to do that at first, but if there's a way you can can even ask a friend to say, "Hey, can we can we get on a call um, at this at this time?" Um, no, if answer but for five minutes, ten minutes, like that's that'll be what gets you to to take a break. Yeah, no, I think that's that's good advice. Maybe buying one of those old alarm clocks and setting it across the room so you have to get you have to physically get up from your desk to turn it off. Otherwise, you have to deal with the the beeping. Um, Andy, I think the for for listeners who you know, um, you've you've offered loads of kind of great advice and insights, and I think particularly things around maybe the community agreements. There might well be listeners who would love love to to hear more and find out a little bit more and delve deeper. Is there a a, a way that they can get in touch with you to um, find out a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Um, I'm happy to, to share my um, email and contact information um, with folks that would love to connect with me. Um, and I can I can share that right now. It's um, A-U-G-A-W-A Y-U-G-A-W-A at berkeley.edu. So again, it's A-Y-U-G-A-W-A at berkeley.edu perfect um and uh, again we they, they'll see they'll see your your name in the in the show notes so it's just the the first initial and your surname at berkeley.edu you've been a fantastic guest uh you you've offered just so many i think little practical um things alongside some of the the theory so this has been a really fun interview i want to say thanks to you for taking the time to chat to myself and matt today oh you're so so welcome it's uh, been an honor and um i hope to hear from some of you out there and would love to connect as well um i'm also on linkedin but to be perfectly honest not super active but that could be a way that I can be and be a force to so thanks so much for having me thanks to Anthea for her insights not just into her current role at UC Berkeley but also her role as the diversity coordinator for NACADA's region 9 and the development of community agreements all right, before we get to our next interview, let's take a moment and let's hear from Dane Zanowski from Temple University to find out what's the latest on Dane's desk. Hello, Adventures in Advising podcast listeners. This is Dane coming to you from Dane's Desk, the YouTube video series for the Adventures in Advising YouTube channel. I am here to let you know about a couple of videos that we have. One with Ryan Sheckel this past week. Uh, that's up there on the YouTube channel. Ryan talks about aspirational models and professional socialization. Check out that video. And after watching that video, I encourage anyone to really think about what kind of advisor do you aspire to be? And if you're an advising administrator, 
how can you support your team in their training and development? And then coming up, we have a video for Dane's Desk with guest Banks Blair. Banks is the incoming chair of the Advisor Training and Development Advising Community. And Banks will talk about advisor self-care and why that's important. So again, check out the Dane's Desk videos on the Adventures in Advising YouTube channel. I encourage you to reach out and connect with me through LinkedIn or Facebook. If you yourself want to be a guest on a future episode of Dane's Desk, or if you have ideas about different topics that we could feature. And as always, keep advising. Next up is a topic that was requested from our survey that was to learn more about academic coaching. So we got you. Here's our interview with Kristen Stutz, Victoria Argot, and Lydia Pearson from Cal State San Bernardino's trio program called SAIL. All right, let's welcome to the podcast Dr. Kristen Stutz, who is the director of the Student Assistance and Learning SAIL program, and she has been with the program since 2002. As a sale counselor for most of those years, Kristen learned so much from her students, including the fact there was very little money management, education, and support services in K-12 and higher education. Armed with many research questions, Kristen returned to school and graduated in 2019 with a PhD in personal financial planning from Kansas State University. In her dissertation, she explored student loan decision-making, and she plans on continuing research in college student financial decision-making to help sale and other equity programs offer meaningful personal financial planning, education, resources, and programming. Kristen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And also with you today, we have Victoria Argot, who serves as the counseling supervisor for the sale program. She recently celebrated her sixth anniversary with sale. Victoria is proud to work with the SAIL program and its students. Being a first-gen college student herself, she relates to the first-gen student population. Victoria is an alum from CSUSB, graduating as a dual major in psychology and human development. And as a SAIL counselor, she knows her experiences do not represent the collective experience of all first-gen students. She believes that all her students hold a unique story. She is always eager to learn with both empathy and respect, honoring their space and individual voice. Her mission is for her students to wholeheartedly know that they are not alone in their college journey. Hello, Victoria. Hello, Matt and Colum. It's wonderful to, to be here and be part of this podcast, especially because I am a listener. So awesome to be here. Yes, we love to hear that. Thank you so much. And last but not least, we have Lydia Pearson. Lydia started her journey as sales academic coach when she was hired as an adjunct instructor much like a supplemental instructor. Lydia earned her master's degree in English composition and literature from CSUSB in 2008. Lydia has worked with sale for over 17 years, first as an adjunct instructor and the last few years as an academic coach. As an academic coach, Lydia works with students whose term CSUSB cumulative or total cumulative GPAs are below a 2.3. Sales goal is to help their students to raise their overall GPAs. So the students earn stronger GPAs by improving ways how to improve their overall courses. Lydia works with her high potential caseload by helping them to focus on strategies for raising their overall GPAs, their study strategies, and the way they improve their time management and other study skills. Hey, Lydia. Hi, Matt. Thank you, Colin. 
I, this is really, I mean, three really fascinating bios, um, but it's the the people behind the bios that are even more interesting. And we, we like to try to do at the start is to give listeners the opportunity to get to know you a, a little bit better by, you know, if if you can take us, you know, along your journey into higher ed, how did you find your way to, to where you are now? And Kristen, maybe we'll start with you on, on that question. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. Sure, sure. Oh, boy. Get ready. (laughs) My my path was not straight at all, um, but... I feel like that actually now at this point uh, is a, is a strength, especially as when I moved into student services at the college level. So basically, uh, I am not a first generation college student, um, but in many ways, uh, I relate to that um, experience. Um, I did not have a lot of guidance, just expectations. Uh, so that really confused me a lot. And, and so uh, I knew I had to go to college, um, but I, the career piece was very, very hard for me to answer for myself. Uh, I, I started out, I, you know, my first thing was I want to be an archaeologist and I'm going to go out of state um, for college. And I uh, moved to Arizona, went to the University of Arizona loved it. It was a, an incredible experience, but I didn't, I hadn't thought about out-of-state tuition. I hadn't thought about all of those pieces. Uh, so taking out my first student loans as a freshman um, and realizing I probably could have um, not taken out as much if I had stayed in California, I decided to transfer back home. Uh, and then I, um, I'm from San Diego, California. And so then I went to the community college there and then uh, kind of now thinking I'm undeclared because my career interest was changing on the daily. Uh, And then I moved, um, I transferred to UC San Diego uh, and changed my major to political science because I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, And someone somewhere told me that all lawyers are political science majors. So that's what I did. Uh, And um, graduated, um, really loved my experience there as well. Um, And although I uh, was not proactive at all, I was the student that never sought out services. I didn't talk to anyone because I was back in San Diego. My peer group was my high school friends. So I did not integrate into the campus at all. Uh, And so when I graduated, I was really lost uh, in a lot of ways um, because I started working at a law office part-time because that was my career choice and then realized I had no idea what this was all about. And um, 
kind of bounce between temp jobs and different things. And, and because um, I had that um, sort of front desk legal experience, uh, I went to this temp agency and they placed me in the legal services office at UCSD. Um, and uh, which I don't think institutions of higher ed use temp agencies anymore, but this I'm dating myself. This was in the early nineties. Uh, and in, it was in that experience that I finally got some clarity and, and that there was probably a good, uh, eight, seven, eight years between undergrad, um, well between undergrad and grad, but, um, probably about five years, uh, uh, space there. And, uh, so I started working with students. Um, we started a VITA, volunteer income tax assistance program out of the legal services office that I got to help coordinate. Uh, so you can see where my personal finance interest is, is building. And uh, then I decided I want a job where I can work with students more hands-on, right? L less administrative responsibility, more student um, front-facing responsibility. And so I applied and got a job as a financial aid counselor at UCSD. Uh, and then finally said I hit the jackpot, moved to, said, okay, now I know what I want to get my master's in. I always knew I, I love school. I, I, love, I love the whole experience, although I did not really um, embrace it as an undergrad. So then I applied to San Francisco State in their um, counseling program, and they had a specialty in college counseling. Uh, I got very involved, did tried to right all the wrongs that I realized um, that I had um, all the mistakes I had made as an undergrad by not putting myself out there and had a wonderful experience. And then uh, my first job after uh, getting my master's in counseling at San Francisco State was uh, here at SAIL. Uh, and so, uh, as my bio explained, you know, it was that, you know, day-to-day -day interaction with students over many, many years um, that, you know, I, I, I loved. And, but one thing I, I could not let go was, you know, I could see how how financial decision making that was required of college students was very complex. And for many, you know, especially coming out of high school, you don't have a lot of life experience and there wasn't a lot of, you know, information. It since then has really um, um, has increased, but still I, you know, decided finally found my, what I could then used to go back to school again. Uh, and then I found the program at Kansas State. Um, and one of the reasons I really loved it, one, it was online so I could stay in sale. And two, they were um, leaders in um, behavioral finance um, and financial therapy, which was, this is back in 2010 that I was searching, it was really um, very new then. Uh, and I loved my experience there. Uh, and there it is. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, it was. That's a fascinating journey, and I love the the little bits of serendipity that are dropped in uh, along the way. So, thank you for for sharing, um, Victoria. What what about you? So, for me, my uh, journey to where I am today uh, has been a long one. Um, I, I I'm a proud, you know, daughter of immigrants. My my parents. I came here from from Mexico, uh, specifically Guanajuato, Mexico, um, and you know, sadly, they were not afforded the opportunity to pursue education. Um, so, something that they instilled in myself and my siblings was education was important, and it was a pathway to better opportunities. And so, I've seen firsthand what it is to to not have that education, and and the differences in quality of life access to, you know, basic resources. Um, so for me, I, I've always known, you know, education was a pathway for me. Uh, however, because I, I was first in, I didn't quite know all that education was, the culture, like how to immerse yourself in, in a college environment. Uh, I was a transfer student. Um, at Victor Valley Community College, where I'm at, which is in the high desert. Um, and even then, like, I, I, I went through my program, I had EOPS, um, you know, supporting me during my time there. Um, and I came in thinking I was going to be a lawyer. So Kristen and I, <laughs> I share a, a similar experience. Uh, but I went a different pathway. I thought that perhaps majoring in psychology might make me competitive or, or give me a different edge. Um, so once I transferred to CSUSB, I continued with my psychology courses and then added a dual major in, in human development. And I soon realized that I just really love psychology. It's just a, a field that I'm so passionate about. Um, I knew I knew I loved it, but didn't quite know what pathway to take. Um, so once I, you know, I graduated, um, you know, I, I was working with one of my former faculty um, in human development, Dr. Laura Kapner, and it was a grant-based program where I worked as uh, uh, doing uh, their research and, and evaluation. But I guess backing up a little bit, um, when in my time in CSUSB, and this is something I openly share with my students, is that I was that student that was so timid to speak up, to ask questions, I was very passive in class, not because I, I didn't care of my education. It was just because I, 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 again, was fearful of saying the wrong thing or insecure about myself or my ability to be successful. And oftentimes students share that. It's not so much, you know, I, I don't want to participate. It's it's just that it's sometimes that fear. And, and again, not, um, you know, having a lot of models within my life that I could look to, to what education was, what it took, you know, made it challenging. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have a program like sales. So I know there was a lot of resources I didn't take advantage of. There was a lot I didn't know um, and wish I would have done as, as an undergrad and, and didn't do. Um, and that's something I, I make sure to do now as, as a counselor. I, I, I challenge and push my students to, reach out, network, connect with people, you know, your, um, you know, 
building your educational experience more by doing those things. Um, but going back to, to my experience, I, I have always had a passion for working with individuals with disabilities. I do have a younger sibling with autism. Um, so that is a passion I've always had. Uh, that led me to uh, then consider um, school psychology, which is what I later uh, received my master's in. Um, and, you know, as I was going through my program, you know, happy, uh, you know, you know, thing happened that I saw sale had an opening. Um, and I, something that it's always been important to me when I do something is looking at a mission the purpose of, of what you do. And when I was researching the program, um, I was seeing what SAIL does and the populations they serve. And, and I know we'll talk about this in a little more, but what that that is one of the populations we serve, um, students with disabilities. And that attracted me right away. Uh, like I said, I've always had that passion um, for for helping that population of, of students and just individuals in general. Um, so then I applied for sale at the time. Um, it was an administrative position, so our, our reception position. Um, and I really enjoyed it because I'm very much an extrovert and was able to connect with students, greet them, get to know them. Uh, and again, as opportunities uh, progress, I, I, I had the opportunity to then be uh, program coordinator, and then an opportunity opened up to, to serve as counselor, uh, which really was more reflective of my educational experience once I had completed my graduate program. It happened almost around the time I, I graduated, an opening happened. And Kristen, I, I have to say, has always been someone who's believed in me very much and was like right away, I, 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 I would want you to apply and be, be a counselor for the program. Um, you know, and, and I had a little bit, I'm not going to lie, I had quite a bit of self-doubt. Uh, and I talked with family and friends. I'm like, I don't know if I could do this because I think counselors have the power to do a lot of good in students' lives. Uh, so, you know, it was, I was like a little scared to, to take on that, um, that role. But, you know, with a great deal of encouragement, I, I continued and uh, without question, professionally, it is by far the role I've loved the most, right? There's a lot of things I love. I love when I did data. I, I, I'm a big data person and research person. However, working with students, sitting with them, hearing their stories, you know, um, getting to see their growth. Um, this is the first, this year will be the first class that I've seen from freshman year to senior year graduate. And I was reflecting on that the other day. I'm like, it's cool that I'm, I'm seeing some of these students that just started and, and now at the end of this year will be graduating. Seeing that is like wonderful. The other, uh, a few days ago, I made the joke of, I can't believe I get paid to do this. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I really, really, really love counseling. really love helping students. Um, and it's just, something I, I enjoy. I don't know that I planned it by design. Um, a lot of things just happen along the way that, that brought me to this direction. Um, call it what you will, but I, I had a great deal of luck and I really love where, where I am today. 
Fantastic. Yeah, the passion shines through. And again, a little bit of serendipity uh, here here and there. So thank you for, for sharing. Lydia, can I can I ask you about your path into higher education? Um, certainly. I grew up in a little tiny logging community um, in Allegheny, Oregon. Um, and my mother always pushed college. Um, she had, a, my grandmother had always told my mom, no matter what, college is important. So um, my mom had at least gone to Biola, which is in uh, Los Angeles, in the, I think it was in the early 30s or 40s, when Biola was just offering certification programs. Um, so I am still qualifying as a first-generation college student. I definitely was low income. Um, and I was pretty shy. Um, my colleagues now will probably laugh at that because they see me very differently now. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was pretty quiet. Um, I grew up in a place where our high where our grade school had 60 students. Um, so it was really tiny. I decided to go to a community college first because that made me more confident in my abilities. Um, I had a really difficult time with learning. Um, my mom now believes that I probably had a learning disability in terms of mathematics. Um, I still cannot do math in my head. Um, I jokingly tell my students who struggle with math that I'm still taking off my shoes and uh, use my toes and my hands to count. Um, that's kind of how it was such a struggle for me. Um, but I love to read and I love to write. Those were my two passions. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go to community college and I'm going to get three majors. Well, we probably all know that is completely unrealistic. Um, but as, you know, Kristen mentioned, sometimes we don't know who to talk to and I didn't know that I could ask for help or guidance. So I ended up going for a degree in um, English, speech communication, and uh, teaching. Well, probably no, I set, my, set myself up for failure right away. And within about the first or second day of the math class for teachers, the uh, math teacher pulled me aside and said, don't ever come back to my class. And I, you know, that really freaked me out because I'm thinking, but, you know, what am I going to do now? This is part of my plan. And he said, you're, you're just not good enough for this. So already my confidence started coming down. So I thought, okay, I'll do English and speech. Um, I got through those two uh, programs and I enrolled at the University of Oregon in Eugene. And again, I was trying to do too much at once. Um, two degrees, you know, plus trying to go back to get that teaching certification. 
Well, I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie, The Mirror Has Two Faces with Barbara Streisand, but she teaches in this really huge classroom where the stairs lead down into where the professor is. And one of my classrooms for English had this makeup. Well, I was so scared that I end up I ended up falling halfway down the stairs. I never went back to the class. I didn't realize that I could have dropped the course. I didn't realize that there were options for me. So after a while, I think I lasted about three years at University of Oregon. Then I came to California and worked at a boys and girls ranch for um, kids that were from East LA that were really struggling, that didn't have anybody believing in them. And I thought, this is what I wanna do. I really wanna help these kids succeed. So I thought, you know what, let me go back and just get one degree. So I chose English composition and literature. And I had a lot of Fs on my transcript because of all of my you know, choices. I didn't make wise choices because I didn't ask for help. So I was working at Loma Linda University Medical Center and my boss at the time said, you have got to get your degree. She said, we are women and you need to have a degree. It's important for women. She goes, I'll do whatever I need to do to help you get that degree. So I came to Cal State, met with the director of the English department, actually the dean of the English department, got some really good planning advice and um, was able to complete my English degree in three years, um, earned my master's in seven. It was back when we were actually allowed to take a lot more time to finish our thesis. <laughs> and I took all the time I needed. Um, and then I was working in the writing center here next to where sale is. And I started getting a lot of sales students who were coming in and they were really afraid of writing. Um, many of them were, um, you know, English was not their first language. They were struggling. They were scared. They had been told at some point in their career in uh, education that they weren't good enough to be there. And I could definitely relate to that. Um, and so I really felt like this was a niche for me. And I was really fortunate because a position opened up in sale as an adjunct instructor. And as I mentioned in my bio, it's a lot like a supplemental instruction uh, instructor where, you know, let's say there's a political science course that students don't do well in. And so um, sale would offer an adjunct course for our specific students to help our students do better. And I loved it. It was something I just could not believe. Like, like Victoria said, I was getting paid to do something I loved. And so as time went on, 
um, the director at the time, Debbie Flores, and I believe Kristen probably helped in this one, wrote into our federal grant um, an academic coaching position. And I was fortunate enough to uh, be awarded that position. And again, I love it because I'm working with students. I'm helping them see where they can succeed. And I'm helping them understand that no matter what, they got this. And it's just so amazing to see them grow and blossom and just understand that no matter what, we here in SAIL, all of us in SAIL, are here to support them. And I think that, you know, this is home for so many of our students. And, you know, I, I just, I can't say enough good that we do. And it's just rewarding to come to work every day because we know that our students are going to be okay. Yeah. And we hear that a lot from students that we meet with that are also sales students, you know, talk about how caring the individuals in sale are. So, you know, how much you want to see these students succeed. And Lydia, you give a great foundation of like your role as an academic coach. And one of the comments we got from one of our uh, surveys that, that we sent out to listeners was what did they want to hear more about? What topics did they want that they were interested in? And one of them was, academic coaching and what are the differences between academic advising and academic coaching? And so it was like, well, we have the sale program. We can have Kristen, Victoria and Lydia on to talk about that. So I think what we can do is uh, maybe Kristen, if you want to talk about what the sale program is, what's all involved in it. Uh, it's a trio program. What is trio? And then maybe from there, um, Victoria, if you want to maybe talk about your role um, as a sale counselor, as uh, with academic advising, and I think that can then transition to Lydia to talk more about your role in as an academic coach and maybe some of those differences. Sure. So sale, um, as you mentioned earlier, stands for student assistance and learning. And so here at CSUSB, everyone knows us as SAIL, but, but really our formal name, because we are a federally funded TRIO program, um, is Student Support Services Project. Um, that's the, um, the, the type of TRIO program that we are. Uh, and there are, um, you know, the reason it's called TRIO, maybe someone at some time has gone through this before, but because it, 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 the reason uh, the family of federal programs is called TRIO is because in, I think it was the Higher Education Act of 1964 that first created the programs, created three programs. Now there's eight, I always get it, eight or nine of them. Um, but that TRIO name um, has, has, um, has just stuck through all this time. Um, and it was, it's designed to be a pipeline. Um, the whole trio, um, um, portfolio, if you will, is, is designed to be a pipeline um, from middle school to graduate school. And so student support services projects are the college level, undergrad level um, trio program. And we've been on this campus, this is our 40th year um, here uh, at CSUSB, which is really exciting. Um, and the, the first 
people to write the grant proposal named us sale. Um, and so it has, we love, I mean, you probably, everyone on campus, they'll know us as sale and they, they'll know that we use, you know, ocean um, and sailing analogies with everything that we do, we call our students sailors. Um, and we just think that's funny. They may not so much, or they may roll their eyes, but we just, it gives us an identity and, we, and, and, um, and it's, it's just, it's, yeah. And, and it helps us build community, I think, you know, uh, using that. Uh, and so, um, yeah, we, uh, now student support services, student support service projects. Um, there's about a thousand, thousand of them throughout the country. Uh, a little bit more than that. Um, and we all have a similar mandate. Um, although we are given, um, some flexibility in, in how we design our program so that we can serve the needs of each campus. Uh, so, and we have to reapply for funding every five years. And so, um, what we've found and what, what is really exciting, um, although it can pro give, pose some challenges sometimes, um, we have to reevaluate, um, our program every five years and look at, okay, what's already happening on campus? How can we provide added value to our students? Right. So if they already have access to this, then we shouldn't um, um, provide that unless it's one of the few mandates that we have. Um, let's design something so that they can have access to both. Um, so we're always looking to kind of supplement what's going on on campus. And so that forces us to to try new things, to, uh, you know, be creative. Uh, and, and that can be a. Uh, painful process at times but it's extremely rewarding uh and 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 so we you know since i've you know been in sale we've evolved a lot right lydia was a great example her position we had to the university took over supplemental instruction um and so then we had to pivot uh and then we started with academic coaching and and uh, this is the second grant proposal with academic coaching wrote written into it um we just started we're in year one and uh and the the coaching position has evolved we've just lived and learned right uh and and so that i hopefully is a good foundation to to um Lydia and, and Victoria and the amazing things that they do. Yeah, I think so. And so, yeah, Victoria, is anything you want to add to that and then kind of going into your role? Definitely. I think that Kristen really laid the foundation uh, of something that is a cornerstone of sale. Uh, we always try, right, to innovate. Uh, we have to be very creative because, again, we don't, our goal is to not uh, duplicate services, right, and to offer unique services to to the students that participate within our program. So my role uh, now, and, and what you'll find, you know, uh, in sale is that there is a lot of innovation, a lot of stuff that uh, comes in with new ideas and initiatives. Um, but specifically my area, right, is, is overseeing counseling for our students. Uh, a lot of those individual programming sessions that we offer through workshops, student groups, 
as well as definitely looking at our current student population and seeing needs and how those needs change over time, right? Um, the needs that students had five years ago, you know, have evolved, you know, within these last years, right? Especially, I, I, I would assume a lot of counselors would relate with COVID. Um, a lot of unique challenges and, and you know, our, our students face and we had to adapt. Um, as a result of that as well, how we delivered services, uh, how we reached out to students um, to ensure that we can support them, uh, meet them where they are, and and really be proactive in, in how we can support students. So not only do we have to uh, be innovative, but I think we, we also try to have a very uh, proactive advising approach, right? Trying to see uh, what our students need and anticipate before um, you know that they're they're needing that service that, that we can provide it um right now we're, we're doing some special programming for our stem students that we're really excited and we'll be starting um in a in a week we'll be starting a a, a group for our stem students um and it, it's and something that i do want to mention a lot of our services are very holistic so yes we do academic advising but as we're welcoming new students and we welcome a new class of students. Um, um, just last week, we had our orientation and we're now getting to meet uh, those new sailors. Uh, as we meet with them and introduce ourselves, for us, it's very important to start off with what their goals are, right, overall. Not just here at CSUSB, but their goals you know, beyond, um, and ensuring that we have those conversations early so that we can connect those students um, to those experiences and opportunities that they need to be successful moving forward. If a student is talking about, you know, wanting to go into the field of social work, what are some internship opportunities or volunteer experiences that we can get them connected with now so that they can build that resume and be a competitive applicant when they go on to, um, you know, apply for a graduate program. So we do a lot of career development, graduate school preparation. We do a lot of psychosocial, psychoeducational programming for our students. Um, you know, Kristen and I do, do have that a counseling uh, educational background that allows us to really develop that programming for our students as well as uh, we also have that educational background to do the uh, definitely that career development and uh, you know also you know for us looking for opportunities to help students prepare for those next with that graduate school preparation. So we're thinking about their needs now in the future and how we can make sure to set them off uh, sailing no no pun intended <laughs> to their to their journey um, and and again just listening to the student what they need and really being a partner and we tell students that in our orientation you you this is a partnership right you know um, we come in we work together and and we're going to support you and something that that we are also able to do is that we also have great programs that are, you know, neighboring us, like advising and academic services, uh, like Matt Markin. Um, I would like to ditto the sentiment you shared in this, in the start. I, I, every student that has the, really the fortune of, of getting to, to uh, meet with you, Matt, 
only talks about how wonderful you are. Uh, so same here. We hear the same things. I, and I pay those students. <laughs> we do too. No, I'm just <laughs> but uh, definitely, I mean, it's and, and something again. Going back to to that, I, I've I've lived that first gen experience. I always tell students like it's so critical to have as many support systems behind you, right? Um, to seek out as many resources because you know, again, we we want to make sure that the student is cared for as a whole. And and again, we have collaborators with with basic needs and and SSD services for students with disabilities um, that where, where we're able to come together and, and support that student. So uh, again, my goal really is building programming that, that helps support students in a variety of areas. So in the academic realm, but also beyond. Um, so, you know, making sure that they're successful, they know the policies, they know the procedures um, that are implemented by, by our campus, but also are preparing for, you know, those next steps in, in life and that they can go on to be successful. Um, so uh, again, we, we do quite a bit and, and I'm proud of the work we do. I, I'm, I'm very proud. I'm very proud. And, and I just wanted to add that I think one element, um, that I'm proud of is that we really work with students to define what success means for them. Um, and uh, because, you know, just re kind of reflecting on my, my journey, that was, I was trying to, you know, do what I, I thought was successful and that's where I got lost. Um, and so, you know, uh, it's something we really intentionally do is, is, is help them define what success is. And then, and then, okay, here, let's, let's plan it. Uh, absolutely. And great way to put it. And especially like it sale is very holistic with, with how you're working with those students. And so then Lydia, uh, with your role as an academic coach, can you talk about some of those differences for what you do versus maybe what uh, Victoria does? Oh, certainly. Thank you, Matt. Um, some of the things that I do is rely on my strengths. Um, having a master's in composition and literature allows me to work with a variety of students who are working on papers. So for example, we do have a, a large amount of psychology majors in sale. And as we all know, um, psychology requires APA as a form of writing style. And I've learned over time that many of our students do not know what APA really means or what it looks like or how it affects their ability to communicate in that new written forum that they're dealing with. So, um, with Kristen's help and guidance um, over the last um, two to three semesters, um, I've developed what we call harbors. There's a writing harbor and a study harbor. So what I do is students are invited to attend. Certainly over the last few months, it was virtual. Um, but students are invited to come 
and bring their papers at any phase of the writing process. Maybe they want to talk about how to get started, or maybe they have a draft and they just don't know what to do with that draft. So we sit together and we look at that draft and we find a way to create a stronger paper for them. Um, and then the other thing we do is we talk about how to communicate with their instructors because I can guide them in what I understand writing is and what I know a lot of the professors are looking for because fortunately I've had um, a lot of success working with many of the professors on campus in terms of um, you know, the, the natural science 306 writing, the social science 306 writing courses because of the, when I was doing the adjunct instructing. So I have a sense of what those instructors are looking for. Um, but the important part is to guide the students in drafting, working on their, their documents, and then going and talking to their instructors. Because we all know the importance of having students communicate with their professors. But students often have difficult, a difficult time with that. They may not feel comfortable. They may think that the professor is going to think they're not smart enough or whatever it is that's going on in that student's life. So it's important to guide that student in helping them see and understand how to be more successful in communication, not only in the written text, but in the verbal text as well. The other thing I work on, so those are things that we do in the writing harbors. Um, in the study harbors, students can come in. Uh, we use Zoom. So students can come in. They can work in groups. They can work in individual breakout rooms. They can work out, uh, work with me individually. Um, so it, it's kind of the space where they can find ways to find their voice not just in writing, but in studying. So time management, um, reading comprehension. You know, a big thing is, how do I read this big college textbook that's so boring, right? Often I'll hear students say, why do I have to read this thing? It doesn't do anything for me. So we talk about ways to help them read and understand and make it more manageable for them. Um, in the study harbors, I work with students on um, studying for exams, um, you know, developing study guides, using the textbooks, notes, things like this. So as an academic coach, it's not just about helping students raise their overall GPA, which is a very significant and important part because that's what students can see. If they see their GPAs going up, they begin to see the value of what we're doing together. But if they also see that their comprehension is growing, that helps them as well. And so I think coaching becomes, you know, twofold. 
um, and Kristen can probably even add to this as well. It's the idea that we really want our students to understand that what they're doing, and I've mentioned this before, matters, and that we again are there for them, and that whatever they need from me, as long as they are willing to be part of the conversation with me, we can make it happen. And I mean, the sale program sounds fantastic. And there are so many different aspects we could go into. But I am conscious that, uh, you know, we such little time. And I, just before we go, Chris, maybe because I think one of the things might be in, interesting for listeners, and it'll probably have to be a condensed version on this. But in terms of reevaluating the, the program, because it's a long running program, and as you said, it has to be reevaluated at times. I'm just interested because I think listeners will be interested because we have listeners from all over the world. So there'll be different programs, but how do you go about, I suppose, evaluating, monitoring success um, of a program like this? Because I think that would be what would be interesting for, for our listeners to try and, and, and grasp, like if they have something like this or would like to implement, what's involved in that side of things? That's that's a good question. Uh, and, you know, some of um, the evaluation that we do is prescribed and some of it is um, evaluation that we kind of create. Um, and, and so basically, um, you know, we have our our objectives. We have something that we have to submit. Um, annually um, called the annual performance report, you know, and it, it, it'll measure um, the academic standing of our students, the uh, uh, graduation rates, retention rates, you know, those typical metrics. Uh, but then we also, um, you know, have developed um, assessments um, that look at, you know, customer satisfaction with our services. Um, we, um, for uh, last, I guess, early spring, we, we sent out a, um, a virtual needs assessment um, to our students, um, you know, just wanted after they had, you know, kind of done a full term in the virtual world, maybe more than that for some of them, um, maybe it was their second, we wanted to kind of find out what they felt they needed. Um, we, we do um, assessment when they come into the program, um, we, um, and then we do a similar assessment every year because they have to choose to stay in the program. Um, and so we have years and years of, of data, which is really exciting, um, about, uh, from our students, um, regarding, um, what challenges they're facing, um, and what they, um, are looking for in terms of support. Um, and so it, it's, you know, just like our program, um, our uh, evaluation uh, approach is is um, always changing. And then we have the layer of what does the institution want us to assess, right? And 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 that be, that's sometimes um, a little bit challenging um, because we, you know, because we are federally funded, we have, you know. Uh, uh, various entities wanting data from us and they, they are not always the same. And, and, and then we, and then of course we are looking at, okay, um, how, you know, how are our students doing? Um, 
how effective are we, right? And so we, it's like a push and pull all the time, um, you know, to get data to everyone who wants it, and then also get to answer our questions, right? That are helping us design the next grant proposal. Um, so, uh, you know, I think um, in general, our, our in-house assessment has been the most meaningful for us, uh, although it's very time consuming. Um, and we, you know, uh, have, like I mentioned, some assessments that we use yearly. And then we, you know, if we're doing a workshop or something, we'll, we'll, we'll assess students' learning outcomes and experience there. Uh, and, and then maybe this is something else that people can really uh, relate to is then what do you do with it, right? I mentioned we have needs assessments from at least 25 years um, in different forms. What it's, a, it's just a treasure trove of data, but, you know, finding the time to really dive in and maybe look at longer trends, oh, I would love to, but uh, it's, you know, time. So um, hopefully that that touched on it. Um, some of the um, our structure and then some of our challenges and some of our uh, uh, successes around uh, evaluation. Yeah, definitely. And are you okay if we go a little bit longer? Y'all fine? Okay, cool. I am, yeah. Awesome. So um, I kind of wanted to go back to the like academic coaching for Lydia and then also to you, Victoria. So uh, Lydia, we had talked briefly about do students know the difference between are they meeting with an like an academic coach or am I, or am I meeting with the counseling you know supervisor? So is that something that you feel that students know the difference? Is that important to you for that? And then I guess, Victoria, if you want to add anything um, after Lydia goes. That's actually a really good question, Matt. Um, and I guess I'll start with one of our scheduling, uh, we use WC Online as a scheduler, uh, an appointment scheduler. And I've noticed sometimes that students will, and, and maybe just this is just an inadvertent thing or they get confused, but maybe they schedule with me and they really mean to schedule with their sale counselor. Um, and so I know sometimes we've talked about do they really understand uh, the differences in the roles? Um, so, I mean, and, and I'm getting ready to send out my first letter um, for what we call the high potential students or the ones that are, um, you know, not doing so well. Their CUM GPAs are at a 2.3 or lower. And I know you and I have worked together on this as well, Matt. Um, we look at where those students are at and if they're on probation or, you know, what's really going on. And I think that, you know, it's really, really important as I frame these letters. Um, and this time we're going to try snail mail. Kristen and I are kind of chuckling about this, but we've you know, we're thinking, hmm, what are we going to do? But, you know, emails are really important. And I think that, you know, sending an email, you know, hopefully these students are going to read these. Um, how do we get them to open that email? 
Um, and I think that if they're understanding the difference between the different um, um, counselors, um, professional advisors, peer advisors, um, an academic coach, um, if we can really clarify that, I think we might get um, a better, you know, maybe help them understand the roles more. Um, and I'm not sure if I've said that very well. Um, maybe Victoria and Kristen might be able to add to that a little bit. I, I would like to add, I know, Matt, for sure, we're always going to have that, that student that they meant to sign up somewhere and they signed up somewhere else. So I, I feel that that's always going to be the eternal, the eternal story. But I would say, uh, at least, again, in working with students, right, because something I had mentioned at the start was connecting our students with other services. But, of course, right, we connect our students with the other uh, sales staff members that have a, a special area of expertise, right? Something that we also had, and I don't think we mentioned, is our peer financial coaches as well. Um, another, uh, like, area in which we support our students. So uh, based on our conversations with students and, and assessing what their needs are, right, of course, we'll connect that student to that appropriate sales staff member or outside uh, resource. Um, so we try to be very intentional about our marketing. When we do our new student orientation, be very clear uh, the faces of, of the sale program, their roles, and what they do. And we often find as soon as we describe to students the benefits of working with our academic coach, Lydia, they're like, I am ready. This is what I've been looking for, right? Um, something that a lot of students have shared that have worked with Lydia um, is that like she had mentioned, you know, English is their second language or students uh, with uh, a learning disability. Um, I have always had challenges with academics, right? As we know, those students have every opportunity to be successful, but sometimes, right, it, it is about having that one-on-one uh, -on -one support, that care, someone that can walk with you and help you really uh, tease out um, you know, that information so that you can be successful. So like I said, for our marketing, we try to, we try and, and, and I want to say, you know, students for the most part, they're pretty good in, in understanding the differences between both. Cause again, we try to be very intentional and all about the benefits and support each staff, staff member can provide. Right. Um, you know, because, Kristen's going to have some areas of expertise uh, that can benefit a student that probably not so much my area, same with Lydia, so on and so forth. Um, so um, us really making sure students know who can support. And we recently created a, a, a connecting with cell services and we have identified um, the staff member, the services they can provide and how you contact each a staff member, a, a form we developed, we called it our virtual survival kit. We added a few resources for students for us to, to know our services and connect as we were welcoming a new class. And we also do a lot of just walking, well, now that we're back on campus, right? Walking a student from one sales staff office to the other and, and try to, you know, giving them this, you know, Victoria can help you with this and Lydia can help you with this. and. This is how you make an appointment with her. Uh, so we really try um, when when we have their attention to really use that opportunity to to 
to clarify our, our roles because what I've found in, in my experience is that, you know, in general, students do understand the advising role. Um, now, do they know how to maximize it? And really, you know, that's that's a whole other thing. But they, because in, in K through 12, they had a, a, you know, someone that helped them with their schedules, right? That's how they come in um, usually. Um, but Lydia's role is a little bit uh, uh, harder for, for brand new students to, um, to kind of digest, like how can she help me? Uh, and so what I've just, we've been learning over these, you know, six years about, you know, how to make that work. But, you know, what I've found is I just need to get them in her office somehow, <laughs> you know, and then they'll understand, you know, um, uh, you know, she'll, she'll take it from there. And so it, it's, so, we, you know, like she mentioned, we, you know, are going to, uh, we, we think snail mail may be the new texting, you know, like we're, we're re-envisioning, you know, how to get students attention. <laughs> Just given, so we're going to try that and an email to see if, if we can uh, get her, the students that we really want to connect with her early on um, in to see her. Yeah, and maybe we can uh, have you back on in the future and find out, uh, was that uh, effective in, in terms of the, the snail mail? <laughs> I, I think there, there's so much like that we have covered and, and there's lots more that we could cover. For listeners who, you know, have, have heard and it's, you know, piqued their interest, there's, they'd like to get further information about maybe different aspects of the program. Are there ways that they can get in touch with um, w one of you, the three of you? What's the best way for our listeners to, to reach out to you if they want to do that? I would say um, email, the easiest thing to remember for everyone is sail, S-A-I-L, at csusb.edu. And uh, many of us get that email. So uh, we'll know who would be the best person to, to take it from there. Um, so sale at csusb.edu. Fantastic. Um, well, I just want to thank you, the three of you, uh, for your time today. It's been a really interesting as somebody on, you know, a uh, di different country, different continent, uh, who, who, where it's, it's a totally different setup in terms of the, obviously the federal system. It's been fascinating to get some insights. The program and the work you do is phenomenal. So keep it up. And thank you for joining Matt and me today to share. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. We we love being here, and and uh, we're we're uh, I'm definitely a fan of the podcast. So of course I'm gonna give it a like because I'm in it. <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna continue to list because I, I think it's wonderful uh, what both of you do. Um, again, especially for me, I feel I'm more of a I'm I'm definitely a lifelong learner. So hearing. From, from you both and, and other professionals in the field is, is, is something that is truly valuable. So thank you for what you guys do. It was fascinating to learn about the Student Assistance in Learning SAIL program at Cal State San Bernardino. Thanks to Kristen, Victoria and Lydia for sharing insights into the history, aims and the day-to-day -day operations of the program. 
and also for explaining the differences between academic advising and academic coaching. And that does it for episode 42. If you don't already, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Advising Podcast, on YouTube at Adventures in Advising, and also stay up to date by checking out our website, adventuresinadvising.com. Until next time, keep advising. Don't wanna complicate.